You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back here on Big Blue Views Audio Lineup. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Nick Filato and Chris Flum. Coming at you after the Giants' Week 1 loss to the Denver Broncos. Today we are going to be recapping the game and also breaking down some of the things that we noticed when we rewatched it. All-22, thank you, NFL Game Pass. But we did take a second look at the game. And we've got some pretty interesting thoughts regarding some of the issues on offense and also some of the issues on defense that you might not have noticed. Before we get to it, though, hit the subscribe button. Also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. So, guys, opening up with offense, as we always love to do, something that Chris and I mentioned on the postgame show that I, I want to dive a little bit deeper on. And, Chris, I think you even have some numbers to uh, help illustrate this point. There was really a big lack of separation from two specific receivers, but some of the Giants receivers in this game. Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton were the two bigger culprits in this one. And that, that felt like something that we were talking about a lot last year. We've talked about that a lot over the past few years, but it more so last year. And here we are yet again. You've got two guys that need to create separation and get open. And for whatever reason, they're not really able to put themselves in a position to do so. So that seems to be a pretty big issue that, that needs to be talked about more. Yeah. And like I said, I went and found some numbers on it. Uh, Kenny Galladay had the lowest amount of separation of any receiver to play on Sunday or Thursday for that matter. He had 0.9 yards of separation on average from the Broncos defensive backs. And that's while getting over seven and a half yards of cushion from them at the line of scrimmage. So Either Denver knew exactly where he was going to be, or he was running right into coverage. Uh, Darius Slayton, he actually led the league in cushion uh, provided to him with nine, a little over nine yards, and he only managed 1.7 yards of separation, which I believe was third worst among wide receivers. So that is... That, number one, is just something we have seen from... Darius Slayton. He is not a natural separator. That that isn't his game. His game is mostly run fast in a straight line. And if you have to ask him to do a lot of uh, sharp breaks, it, rec- defensive backs just stay glued to him, or he stays glued to them. I'm not sure which it is. And we saw the same thing from Kenny Galladay. So it's a good thing that he's very good in contested catch situations because. I think just about every catch for him is going to be contested because he can't get loose from NFL defensive backs. A couple things there that I, I want to just weigh in on. Well, first, Galladay played 52 snaps in this game. Darius Slayton played 43. So, and obviously, Chris's dog 
does not agree with the fact that they were on the field that often. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I would say neither of those two receivers strike me as a receiver that can separate all that well. That's not Kenny Galladay's game. We're aware of that. Darius Slayton, to me, he's been somewhat of a late letdown since his 2019 rookie season. Last year, he didn't live up to the billing, which uh, you could say that he was a little, God bless you, a little bit miscast. Thank you. You could say he was a little bit miscast, but – there was a lot of drops. And then you look at this game, drop the football, decent amount. But in terms of the separation, yes, that those are stats for Galladay and Slayton, but they're also stats for Jason Garrett, who doesn't do a great job maximizing the the route concepts to create separation as well. I think that's something else. When you when you're running a, you know, five yard curl or a five yard stick route and turning back to the quarterback, you're not going to have all that much separation. And I'm not here just bashing Jason Garrett, but I do think he takes some of the blame for two of the Giants receivers ranking low in terms of yards of separation per route run. Right. I I think that that's a, I don't mean to cut you off, Chris, but I think that's a really good point that you bring up, Nick. And I bet Chris, you might agree with me on this. And this was basically about what you were going to say is, I, at what point do we say like okay these guys that are, are Kenny Galladay more than Darius Slayton that have talent to create big plays and and not necessarily explosive downfield plays Slayton more than than Galladay these guys are talented receivers there's no reason why they can't be productive we've seen them be productive at what point do you start to say hey may, maybe we should be worried about the routes that these guys are running if they can't create separation rather than blaming the guys for not separating because that is something that we saw last year with other receivers in in the fold. Different guys were out there, and obviously not as good as Kenny Galladay, but still, here we are yet again. We're talking about separation issues. I, I mean, I think at a certain point, and I know it's just the, the easy... It is always going to be the easy narrative to say, let's blame Jason Garrett, but I, I'm just going to do it. Let's blame Jason Garrett. I, I think that, that what we saw yesterday was terrible offensively. There was not... What, what, we were, what they were doing with the play calling, I, I don't think produced anything that made things difficult for the Broncos defense. There was no RPOs, zone read. Those need to be staples of this offense because you have a team that struggles to move the football, incorporate the legs of Daniel Jones, which is arguably one of Daniel Jones' best trait, if not his best trait, is his overall athletic ability. And I understand that you're a little hesitant to do so because he has been injured the last two years with lower body injuries, the hamstring last year, the ankle in his first year, but you can't call plays that way, especially when you have an offense that is just not explosive and struggles to sustain drives leading to your defense having to play a significant amount of snaps which is just going to tire them out so you need to incorporate that and I mean I'm not going to sit here and blame the Giants for not having a uh, huge extensive game plan for Kadarius Tony he had the two touches I think he played about five snaps the guys missed it was five yeah the guys missed like the entire great. entire camp so I'm not going to bash them for that but the one play you tried to utilize him on was just blatantly obvious what you were doing at a shotgun he's looking in the direction towards the touch pass to the boundary with an unblocked player being von freaking miller dude to the boundary and you i mean i, I maybe you were expecting uh nate solder and kyle rudolph to to initially eliminate uh von miller but Kyle Rudolph just chipped him and climbed, and Nate Solder blocked down on the four-eye technique along with the guard. Next thing you know, Von Miller is six yards in the backfield just throwing Kadarius Tony to the ground. It's just it's just too obvious when he tries to do these different types of plays, and I feel like defenses easily have a beat on him, and that's why they 
rarely work. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, we saw last year when they would try these plays with Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram, and you know, if they were executed well by the players, they could get a, a say, modest to decent gain, usually somewhere around like seven yards or so. But when the execution isn't there, it's it's pretty obvious when the Giants are going for trickeration and. Then it's not much of a trick at that point. You know, pretty much everyone has to know that Kadarius Tony has not been practicing much. He didn't get in any preseason games. You know, he's not going to be running a full route tree with you know complete understanding of the playbook. They're going to have to scheme him touches in certain situations, and if you just look for the signs of when those plays are coming you know when the giants are obviously setting them up you know where the ball is going yeah, you know where the ball is going and i get it too it was a double y set there was 12 personnel you think that those two tight ends will be able to seal that edge but even if von miller was effectively blocked there was another defender who would have nailed Kadarius tony in the backfield it's just we we, we saw a lot of that in 2020 just the lack of deception or when they try to do deception, it's way too predictable and it reared its ugly head again in week one. Yeah. And you, you, you summarize that completely before we move on to the, the next point where we spent the whole off season saying to ourselves and talking on this podcast, man, I can't wait to see how different things are going to look offensively. I admit, this is exciting to see different faces. I wonder how Jason Garrett is going to use these guys. We, we've got a good athlete in Kadarius Tony. We've got a, a strong possession receiver in Kenny Galladay. And the answer has pretty much been given to us after one game. Nothing has changed. It's the same approach where it, nothing is unexpected for the opposing defense. Everything is overtly predictable. And that results in 37 passing attempts and barely, I think the, the number we said yesterday on the postgame show, I think it was like 40 yards of rushing if you take out uh, that the, the rushing yards that Daniel Jones had. That's just not a good offensive performance, and I, I think a lot of blame does have to come down on their lack of production for why they didn't play very well in yesterday's game. The other thing, too, though, I, I just want to talk about here, and I think that the offensive line is always going to be a strong talking point for us on this show. They rotated a lot of guys in during this game. It, it wasn't necessarily one strict unit, but two players that I thought had a really strong performance, and I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this, were Nick Gates and Andrew Thomas. Thomas had a bit of an up-and-down preseason. We, we were getting a little nervous, but I, I, he looked pretty good in this game. And then in addition to that, Nick Gates ends up going for a six-way tie for the best pass rush win rate for a center. So that's really, really good to see that Nick Gates is starting to progress to that level against a pretty good defensive line. So what were your guys' thoughts on on Gates and Thomas? Well, they couldn't run the football, which that's a collective effort, and we don't have the all-22 as of right now, so it's kind of difficult to really analyze how they did in terms of run blocking. So the ineffectiveness of the of the Giants offensive line to establish the run doesn't give me any, uh, you know, sort of certainty that they, that they were playing excellent in that manner. But, you know, I'll trust that grade Gates did not appear to be somebody who struggled just from the broadcast angle. But again, it's kind of difficult to really weigh in on that in terms of pass protection though, you can see that Andrew Thomas was on an Island quite often and 
I don't know about you, Chris, but he looked much more confident in his sets. His feet and his hands were working in unison. He was splitting the midline of edge rushers, not allowing them to get to that outside shoulder while kind of being cognizant of the inside rush move. And it also just seemed like he was framing his blocks in a much better manner. He was staying square to his target. I was kind of impressed with what Andrew Thomas put on the broadcast film. I'm interested to see exactly what it looked like on the All-22, but I definitely came away with there's a positive takeaway from this offense. It's Andrew Thomas on the left side. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He wasn't perfect, but I'll say when he did have his hiccups, they happened in times and in ways where it, it really didn't hurt the offense, where if somebody got the edge on him, it, either the ball was out of Daniel Jones's hands, which I'll say that's one thing Jason Garrett did well, was he schemed a lot of quick releases. Uh, Jones only averaged about two and a half seconds to throw the ball, which for him is good. You know, that's down a lot from the 2.8 to three seconds he was averaging the last two years. So, you know, they did help their pass protection out that way. But Andrew Thomas was you know, pretty solid in pass protection. He, like you said, he was a lot more balanced than we saw in the preseason. Yeah, I like that word confident. You know, he didn't look panicked. You know, maybe it did help that he was going against Malik Reed and not Bradley Chubb. You know, that might have made a little bit of a difference. You know, Reed is a fine edge player for your number three edge player. You know, he's <laughs> not a guy too many teams would want as their starter. But even so, Thomas handled his business well. With Nick Gates, you know, I I saw him get pushed back some, but he was pretty much always able to find his anchor. And you know, while pressure might leak around him, you know, I saw some pressure leaking through the left guard and right guard, you know, particularly the B gaps, but I didn't really see anybody get past Nick Gates. And that I think is about the best you best thing you can ask for from a center, especially when he's matched up on a nose or a one technique. So speaking on the the, the pass blocking was I think better than expected going against a, a pretty talented front that they were going against for the Broncos. But we, we've got to dissect a little bit here the the run game, the run blocking, the uh, play calling for the run game. It was, as we've been talking about on the show, it's very reminiscent of stuff that we saw last year. And one of the things that I'm curious to get your thoughts on, Nick, that we talked about on the post-game immediate reaction live stream, Chris and I were talking about how something just didn't seem right with Saquon. We, you know, we felt that I, – I, my point was that I thought that he was, he was a little timid. I, I felt like he wasn't really that same player that we saw him at, and I, I – just honestly, just attest that to the fact that he's coming off of an injury, didn't get any reps in preseason. I don't blame him for not being used to contact and getting hit in a normal game setting because he's coming off of a very, very serious injury. But I, I think that I'm not blaming Saquon for the bad run day, but I think one of the things that did factor into some of the issues might have been because he's just he he's coming off of like a serious knee injury, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a slow period of time until he's fully acclimated and ready to go at a normal level. I'm hoping that it's not going to be that, but it did seem like he was, I guess you could say, a little bit timid. I think it's a lot of just knocking off the rust. He's finally back for the first time in almost a year. Obviously, he was hurt against Chicago in week two last year. And, you know, it's been a long road for him. I um, 
I, I think he's going to be okay. I mean, I think he ended up playing like 38% of the snaps, but a lot of that was just because it was garbage time down the stretch. He was on pace. I think I saw Dan Duggan tweet for like 68% of the snaps or something along those lines until the game got out of hand. I, I'm not overly worried about Saquon Barkley. He's, he's a player that I think the Giants need to – Devise probably a little bit more creative plays in the passing game that maybe w- that maybe could happen in week two, week three. It didn't necessarily happen against the Broncos, although he did have that one drop in the middle of the field. But I'm not too worried about it. I, I think there's going to be some jitters his first game back, and that could be what it is. But also at the same time, there wasn't that much rushing room on a lot of those plays. So I'm not going to uh, really overreact here. Yeah, I, I want to see more, and I I want to really want to get a chance to look at the all twenty two. Uh, so you know, shout out to the NFL there. You know, maybe we could get it sooner than two days later. That would be nice. But it's it isn't something to. I think it's something to take note of, but maybe not overreact to. You know, like you said, Nick, and like we all saw, the the Giants' run blocking just wasn't there. And it's not like the Broncos were keying on the run. They they weren't stacking the box. Uh, the NFL Next Gen stats didn't provide any information on Devontae Booker's runs because he he only had four, and they their bottom cutoff was five runs. But for Barkley, he didn't see an eight man box on any of his carries, and he still only averaged about two and a half yards. So that I think is part partly on him for just being rusty. And you know, he was doing a lot of running behind the line of scrimmage. And one thing I did did notice was Devonta Booker looked it looked like he was running with more decif- decisiveness and conviction. Like he was picking out his hole and going for it. You know, Barkley, it looked like he was trying to maybe set up his blockers a little bit much, uh, you know, maybe trying to get into a, an offensive lineman's hip pocket and almost ride him through the line of scrimmage. And it really just wasn't working for him. You know, partly it was because the offensive line wasn't getting a whole lot of push. And, you know, partly that, that has never been Barkley's game. He, he just didn't quite have the, the same explosiveness that we're used to. And I think that's, that's going to come eventually. So coming up, we're going to talk about some of these defensive takeaways. And frankly, it wasn't a perfect game from the defense. And there were some issues that you might not have noticed while watching this game. Before we get to that, though, we're going to take a very short commercial break. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. So uh, as much as we can say here that the the offense hung the defense out to dry, they certainly did make their own mistakes that we need to acknowledge and discuss. And I, I think one of the big ones here that you guys really want to talk about is those inefficiencies on third and fourth downs because there were a lot of times, especially early on in the game, where it felt the defense was doing a really good job. They were making good plays. It was creating advantageous situations for the defense. And then before you know it, Teddy Bridgewater finds somebody for uh, you know a, a first down on a passing play on third or fourth down. And that even happened in the red zone for a, a touchdown to Albert O. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, but there were a lot of instances where it looked like the defense had the Broncos offense pinned and then they made a mistake. That is something that really does need to be corrected coming into uh, next week against the Washington football team. It really needs to get cor- uh, corrected. Remember, this entire offseason, we spoke about how Patrick Graham is going to have the personnel to run man coverage. They added a Dory Jackson. Aaron Robinson isn't there, but the addition of a Dory Jackson over someone like Isaac Yidem is a significant upgrade in terms of your defense's ability to run man coverage. Well, that did not necessarily materialize against the Denver Broncos. It seemed like Uh, the offense for the Broncos, Bridgewater and Shermer and these receivers, they were so in sync with each other. The rhythm and the timing and the execution was just way too much for the Giants man coverage ability because the Giants, I mean, they ran a lot of man. They ran a lot of press man. It didn't necessarily matter because right when Bridgewater would hit that back foot, the receiver would be turning into his break, whether that be a hook, whether that be a 90 degree cut, whether that be a 45 degree cut. It was enough separation for Bridgewater to find the receiver. It just seemed like Teddy was just slinging it out there. And the quick game for the Broncos was working incredibly well against this Giants man coverage. And then when they transitioned to a more zone-based approach, the voids in the zone, Bridgewater and the receivers were able to find them. It wasn't wasn't a great look for, for a unit that we expect a lot from. I mean, if you look at some of these stats of just how the – how the Denver Broncos were able to just pick apart players like James Bradbury. I mean, Bradbury was targeted seven times. He allowed six receptions for 65 yards and a touchdown. We saw Jerry Judy get open several times. Cortland Sutton using his big frame against James Bradbury. We saw Bradbury line in the slot. We saw him align on the boundary. It didn't necessarily matter. And then the safeties against these these tight ends also was another mismatch that was exploited by Denver. So, I mean, it's back to the drawing board for this team. People complain about the edge rushers and how they weren't able to create pressure, but how can they create pressure when the secondary wasn't holding up their end of the bargain? And this is a secondary that we expect to be pretty darn solid, and they just did not show up in this game. Yeah, really, the secondary is... the It's supposed to be the strength of the Giants' defense. Now, yes, they're up until... Melvin Gordon had that 70-yard touchdown run. The Giants' run defense was pretty solid. You know, they had a few plays where it was almost a, a shoestring tackle to prevent a bigger gain. But against a Melvin Gordon and a Javante Williams, you know, you, you take what you can get. But once they got tired, that was when the run defense bo- broke down. And a big reason why they got tired is because the pass defense was breaking down just about every drive. You know, yes, the game went into halftime with Denver up 10-7, but it really was pretty fortunate for the Giants that it was only 10-7. to 
you know, there was the one play where uh, honestly I was just sitting in my chair cracking up at it when Teddy Bridgewater is rolling out and Tim Patrick is breaking open down the field, you know, complete coverage breakdown on the back end. And the only reason it wasn't either a big gain or a potential touchdown was Darnay Holmes's helmet. <laughs> and, you know, it would, in the first half, it was things like that where, you know, the Giants defense would just not be able to get off the field. You'd have these uh, breakdowns in the coverage. Either the Broncos would have just too many passing options for the Giants to effectively cover all of them and they'd be able to find the voids in the zone coverage or you know, their, their timing would just be too good for the Giants man coverage to disrupt and they would be able to do just enough to stay on schedule and then be able to find an open man somewhere down the field to convert a third down or occasionally a fourth down it's it wasn't it was a very inefficient effort. When you look at the final stats, it doesn't look as bad as it actually was. It's it's pretty alarming to see all those third and longs and those fourth downs end up being converted. And credit to the Broncos coaching staff for being aggressive. It really worked out for them. It just kind of goes to show the confidence that they have in Teddy Bridgewater, Pat Shermer, and this offense to to be effective in the most important situations. And it ended up uh, burning the Giants, I guess you could say, in the end for for sure. And uh, it's just just, it, it was a disappointing affair. A lot of us had a lot of good expectations for this Giants defense, and it, it didn't didn't happen in Week One. Just didn't happen, and it could have been a whole lot worse if Logan Ryan doesn't get that takeaway. Credit to Logan Ryan for that play. If KJ Hamler doesn't drop a wide open touchdown on a blown coverage, something we didn't see a lot last year, but that was a blown coverage. So it was a lot of uncharacteristic things that we ended up seeing from this Giants defense in Week One. Yeah, and that does kind of go back to. When we were previewing this game, we asked the question, you know, which quarterback would you have rather the Broncos ride with? Uh, Drew Locke with his athleticism and, you know, just massive arm talent or Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, I think we all said that for the Giants, Bridgewater was the worst option just because of how how much of a veteran he is, how accurate and efficient he can be. And that is what we saw. You know, nothing the Giants did really phased him. You know, they weren't able to get in his head. They weren't able to rattle him. And they weren't really ever able to confuse him with their coverage rotations like we saw happen quite a bit last year. And, you know, that I think really was the difference in this game. You know, the, the Broncos had a quarterback who I think he made one bad throw all game long. And that was an underthrow on... I believe it was uh, Albert O who had gotten a step down the sideline and Bridgewater hit the defender in the back right between the numbers. And I think that was the only poor throw I saw him make. And the other thing too, just to wrap us up with another final point on on some of the issues that we saw from this defense, we were talking about before the show and I I even kind of highlighted that one touchdown play where Albert O caught that touchdown on a third and goal or was it a fourth and goal or was it third and goal? So I'm pretty sure it was third and goal. It, it was fourth down. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was fourth and one. They they weren't quite uh, they weren't quite uh, ten yards from the goal well, line. Regard, I think they were on the eleven or something. Right. Like that. Regardless, that touchdown that Albert O had, I think, highlighted some of the issues that the Giants had covering 
the Broncos tight ends. And you can point to the fact that Shermer did a good job of exploiting that. But like, what are your guys' thoughts on some of the issues we saw with the tight ends being covered by the, uh, the giant safeties? Yeah, when man coverage, Jabril Peppers being dropped down into the box to to man up on Noah Fent and Albert O, it just seemed like that timing of Bridgewater was was too precise for the coverage of the Giants in man coverage. So I, I think it's just that simple. I mean, it's somewhat of a referendum on the Giants' safety's ability to cover these tight ends. Those are two very athletic, two very big tight ends and uh, yes you can look at Jabril and say hey you got to do a better job in those situations but again it's because the timing was so damn just on point by the Broncos offense it just didn't allow the giant safeties to make plays on those footballs because if you watch it it was just so crisp I mean it was it was surgical it really was it's uh not something that um you you would expect from you know I guess you could say the Giants defense to allow that, but you have to give credit where credit is due and credit is deserved for Pat Shermer and Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And really my only question is where was that tight end usage when Pat Shermer had Evan Ingram at his disposal? It's a good point. It's a very good point. <laughs> I mean, that was what I was saying on the, on the post game live stream is the absolute irony that we are sitting here Speaking positively on Pat Shermer for ca- calling a really good game, and it's not even for the Giants. It's for a completely different team that just smacked them. So it it it, it is hilarious that we're you know we're sitting here talking about Pat Shermer, who we complain about his incompetence in a lot of issues. Suddenly is now calling a really really good offense with with Teddy Bridgewater as his starting quarterback. It's uh. It's definitely undesirable, but uh, <laughs> I, I will say that Shermer has always been a pretty solid offensive mind, uh, but as a head coach, it wasn't something that we really wanted any longer. And I think that those two things can mutually exist. All right, folks, that's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. Follow us on social media at Big Blue View. We're going to be coming at you soon with a preview of the Washington football game, which is going to be Thursday night. Later, folks. Stay tuned. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.